Welcome to another episode of Papa PhD. This week on the show, we're going to talk about uncertainty. In particular, employment uncertainty in academia and outside of it in the current pandemic context. Now, in between jobs, after her third postdoc, my guest will share her journey up to today and we'll talk about how confinement led her to take on new projects, teach herself new skills and double down on her investment in networking. And remember, I have two new podcast discovery trailers to share with you this week. So be sure to stick around with us until the end. Last year, I, I have doubled my LinkedIn connection. I think in the past, I had the mental barrier thinking I shouldn't add anyone who I've never met. My LinkedIn profile should be a statement like a Facebook page, friendship, like I only know these people in real life and I only connect with these people. And I have taken a long way to break that mental barrier that I could uh, make friends with people that I haven't met yet in real life. But guess what? These people ended up like maybe I would say five to 10% of them had actually given a, a phone call and tell me about their stories. They become relationships that you build. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Today, we have with us Vera Chan. Vera is technically the first unemployed person I interviewed on Papa PhD. She graduated her PhD in Hong Kong from 2014 and had six years of postdoc experience working in the US and France. This year, Vera decide to, decided to transition into a non-academic role and she is still undergoing the process of job seeking as a foreigner living in France. I am happy that she's open to sharing with us about this vulnerable moment, the less glamorous side of life after the PhD, we can say, that not so many people are willing to talk about. Vera is also the host of the PhD Coffee Time YouTube channel, where she shares her insights and advice covering all aspects of life as a graduate researcher. Welcome to Papa PhD, Vera. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to have you here. Uh, we, we've been talking for a little while. There was a summer vacation, etc. But now here we are. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, the first thing I would like to ask you would be to introduce yourself to, to the audience, uh, to the listeners, and to talk a little bit about this, this path that you've, or this journey that you've been going through up till today. Uh, starting with uh, with uh, your academic journey. Okay, so um, I'm Vera. Uh, some of you might know about me uh, from my YouTube channel that I make videos for YouTube uh, for PhD students. Uh, I'm actually a fake PhD student because that was a life that I lived um, many six years, seven years ago. I have been three times of uh, I have been postdoc for three different institutions, and now I am officially unemployed and going through transitioning um, and I found out there's a hashtag on Twitter called post-ac like post-academic <laughs> search mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I'm now in that cohort and um, yeah so that's my uh, academic history and my background training was life sciences and actually mm -hmm. marine science but I, I refrain myself from saying marine science when I have a job interview because people are not very interested in hiring marine scientists. <laughs> and, and I do microscopy. We run gels like you guys do in science, uh, in cancer research. But I mean, people mm. just have an emotional detachment whenever you say marine science. So I, I said, well, but you know what? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give you a chance today to talk a little bit of, of what you did in your PhD. Okay. Given that, that you, you, you refrain yourself from, <laughs> from usually talking about it. Uh, yeah. What, what, what was it? What was the subject you worked on? So, oh, that's, um, it was a project. It's really a romantic one, I would say. It's, a, it's called biomineralization um, because uh, I start, first of all, let me step back from PhD. I did double major in my bachelor's degree, which was biochemistry okay. and ecology. And I am really curious about biology subject in general. So that the two majors seems repetitive 
to a lot of people because most people take second major in finance, accounting, mm-hmm. something more practical. Mm-hmm. But when I choose again, I still choose biology theme type of major. Um, and to me, biology, biochemistry was like a microscopic view of life and ecology mm-hmm. is like the macroscopic view of life and it fascinates me a lot. So when I started PhD, my advisor saw that I had the skill to marry two different ideas, two different disciplines. So he gave me another challenge to marry the engineering uh, project to life sciences. So I was in a marine science lab, which is specialized in proteomics analysis. And that was in my head. I wanted to learn proteomics in that lab. But at that time, I was in charge of a project instead of proteomics. I was in charge of mineral uh, formation in marine animals. So if you go scuba diving and you see corals and all these reef structures, they are just natural mineralization process. And to me, mm-hmm. it fascinates me a lot how the whole planet, all this important productivity of our planet was built because of this mineral forming process. But commercially, it is important because our teeth is biomineral, our bones are mm-hmm. biominerals. If you break bones, you have to find a way to repair it. So uh, on the fancier side, I would say I have a bioengineering background on <laughs> on mm. mineral repair, <laughs> tissue repair. But theoretically, I'm just uh, mostly working on shellfish and how shellfish make shells. And that's okay. the less sexy side of how to sell myself. And, mm-hmm. and so eventually, after your, your PhD, you went abroad for your postdoc. How was that experience? Uh, you know, a lot of people are there. I myself came from my, you know, came from Portugal to to Montreal for my PhD. How was that experience? Uh, was it an easy decision to take? Uh, and and uh, you know, what uh, what what did these years of postdoc bring you in terms of learning, in terms of uh, of growing, uh, not only as a researcher but as a person? Um, it was really tough for me because I. St- I changed country from like the city, the metropolitan Hong Kong to South Carolina, which is a college town middle of nowhere. Okay. Uh, I mean, I was I would say I was in the U.S., but technically speaking, that was not the most representative uh, side of how everyone remember, like the New York City, Boston, California. I I think I was among those Trump supporters community. I don't know if I should mm-hmm. speak of politics here, but like they're mostly <laughs> conservative religious people. They are good people, but like they, they just not uh, very much seen from Hong Kong. Like they don't visit Hong Kong, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was a big cultural shock because then I have to quickly learn their different type of thinking, different value system that I never thought of in Hong Kong. Um, and it's, it was challenging in the beginning because um, I, I didn't have a driver license until two years in the U.S. Okay. And anyone living in Canada, U.S. could tell you if you don't have a driver's license, you are pretty much a house cat. You're home all the time, mm-hmm. you're home, you're, you're in the lab. Uh, so it was the most challenging in that aspect. Um, like even going home to visit family, I have to convince a friend to take me to the airport and knowing that that day they are free and I can book the flight ticket, which is really stressful to organize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. the challenges of, of cultural shock when you, when you move countries. Yeah. Exactly. It, and it, I think, you know, a lot of people move around when they go to graduate school, but uh, people in smaller countries, and I'm, I, I'm coming from Europe, often they leave their country. And it's true that it could be the food, it could be uh, the, 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 well, you mentioned the politics, it could be, the, there's as many things that you might uh, find wherever you go that might create some difficulty or some uh, friction, let's say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I, eventually, I, yeah. eventually, I guess, you, mm-hmm. you know, you got, uh, you, uh, how can I say you, you know, you, you got familiarized with that mm-hmm. and you ended up uh, uh, kind of knowing the ropes and, and yeah. kind of getting your own... Well, and you got your driver's license eventually, like <laughs> yes, you I, said, right? I visited, and then you could I move around. I visited DMV for five times. I failed. Um, <laughs> okay. I failed. I failed my written test once and I failed my road test twice. And after five okay. visits to the 
DMV, which is the Department of Motor Vehicle. That, mm-hmm. Like if you if you want the time machine exists, that's the place to go. Like <laughs> two hour past, you you don't even know how it passed. You just go in and you sit there and wait for the number to be called, and you fail your written exam. You go back <laughs> again next week. Oh yeah yeah. Anyway. Anyway. And eventually, you decided. Okay, I had you know this cultural shock. Now I'm going to France. Right. <laughs> How uh, did that come about? <laughs> that's true. So um, it was well. T- practically, I'm not going to make it glamorous for here. It's all authentic conversation today. Um, it's just my funding ran out at uh, the the same month when uh, France won the World Champions <laughs> for a soccer okay. game, <laughs> and, and I remember that week I was watching that and uh, like we were just excited. Oh, France has won the champions, and and the same month I got like this meeting uh i my heart was heavy that in that meeting my advisor said we have no more funding uh and like okay. uh one you have one more week <laughs> we will run out and and i know in america with the visas that i had i had to find something quickly so uh, but it was like a very strange coincidence one of a collaborator from back then he sent um, just a random information email that this institution is hiring the, okay. That postdoc description was like a 90% match of my PhD. So I apply with the thinking that I know I will have a lot to offer, but I didn't mm-hmm. really think much about how much do I think this is a fit for my next career step. Like I, I was mostly thinking this is a job and I take all the boxes. So I want to be there because I felt like this resume, like this job description is asking for me. So I show up mm-hmm, to that. Mm-hmm. And I did get the job in one week. Like it was strange. Wow. For a lot of postdocs, it sounds like I'm bragging, but it's just, I think it's a lot of star aligning in that week that I got yeah. the job. <laughs> and especially if you say that your profile was like 90% fitting what they were asking, that's mm-hmm. also not so common, right? <laughs> right. So perfect. So we're going maybe a little bit fast throughout your, your journey, your academic journey. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I kind of want to talk about other things because yes. looking at your YouTube channel, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> subjects that, that you've been talking about on there. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But before we go there, I still would like to, to, kind, of, uh, to kind of ask you, um, you know, throughout all, all of this uh, and thinking of maybe your viewers on YouTube, my, my listeners on the podcast, um, you know, there, th- I'm sure there are lessons or there are, you know, common mistakes that you have, uh, that you have identified during your journey that maybe people who are listening, uh, can, can gain if, if they hear about, and, you know, you, you start, you, you did a PhD, you then moved countries, you moved countries again. Are, are there some lessons, uh, you know, from this, this journey that, that's, you know, you, you traveled a lot, <laughs> you, you know, you moved very far from, from home, let's say. Um, and, uh, we did, we didn't even talk about how often you were able to go back and visit family, but, yeah, can you talk a little bit about lessons learned from all this ju- this academic journey and maybe of the the strugg- struggles or mistakes that if you knew better today you you would not have uh, done them? Yes, uh, absolutely. I I would start with th- uh, thinking that we're scientists and we're researcher, and a lot of time we gather a lot of information for our own research and we validate them twice and you know like try to make sure that we have all the information from different source. Mm. But ironically, I think a lot of us didn't do that for our career. We get the sources from one, uh, one single family of people, like academic. Mm-hmm. I, I love my advisors. They are, they're still really good uh, people in my life that I don't think anything less of them. But I, I think as like a journalist, if there is a fire in the building, they gather all the sources from the experts, the eyewitness, you know, all the uh like who is there in the time like you you try to ask as many different sources as possible to know what mm-hmm. to say in the news report the same for us as researcher for career choices i think is very interesting phenomenon that we are taught to 
think in a very focused way, because I think in academia, that's the only criteria. I mean, one of the biggest criteria to succeed is to be tunnel vision and focused. Mm -hmm. And somehow it deter a lot of students from gathering wider sources, speaking to people who have a job, <laughs> speaking to people mm -hmm. who have been working for a company that needs scientists. Like those are important information to know what is suitable and what whether that's some options that you can consider. I think that's the biggest mistake is I didn't take a lot of sources from different perspectives. And also in Hong Kong, we don't really have a lot of role model and live examples that are in the industry. To be fair, most students okay. who don't become professor, they just work in the government sectors, which I know I don't want it to do. So it's, uh, it felt like that was the only intuitive uh, step to go out of Hong Kong. Oh. And I still think uh, it wasn't a mistake when I look back, because if I haven't been to the US, I wouldn't have seen the industry of science and how my skill set is valued if I move to another type of uh, political environment that is outside yeah. of my home. And, and I, I, I think... For people who want to see the world from a different country perspective, I think a postdoc is still a valid decision. But for people who think that postdoc is what everyone else is doing and that's the only way to do, that is uh, that is not a good way to choose it. Like this is the bad way to to decide you want to be a postdoc. Mm -hmm. But right now, I I have the third postdoc uh, in France, and I still I don't regret it very much because I learned some French, and I uh, I mm -hmm. didn't speak a word of French before I started the position. So, and I built the um the European work culture sensitivity. Like now, I know European love to have coffee breaks during the day. So if I become <laughs> a manager in the future, I would know to let people take a break. You know, that's yeah, that's a yeah. Those are the life uh, lessons. Um, beyond science that I, I felt like they are not essentially mystic, but I wish I had more um, information uh, to, to make more decisions in the beginning. Mm -hmm. so, you, you, so what you're saying is people who are, let's say, starting their PhD, uh, to, so you're kind of advising them to not have too much tunnel vision and to... Mm. So what form, uh, my question is, what form can it take? Attending seminars mm -hmm. on different things, attending career fairs, how how can they start working towards having a wider mm -hmm. angle view of things instead of uh, of a tunnel vision? Yeah. What's the the things you think they they should be doing? I or they could be doing. That's a very good question because um, it's, it's a hard balance to have. Either you become too distracted or you become like too tunnel vision. And I had heard in America they have. Um, they have a orientation training for faculty member in um, mm -hmm. like and we were postdoc and we were asked to sit in to, to know what we expect. Um, they suggest ten percent of professional development per week is simple as that. If uh, that means if you work sixty hours a week, you should be budgeting six hours of that week. It could be okay. every day at lunchtime for one hour. It could be every day after. Uh, work like one hour more before you go home to watch a seminar or ask uh, someone for a virtual coffee break right now we can't take real coffee break anymore so yep. yeah I, but I think you know build that having a logbook or having a system to track those time and say I'm done with 10% of my week to to know this and I am reasonably tunnel visioning 54 hours of the remaining week on my research and I think that's a good balance to strike Mm -hmm. And over time, in two, in four years, five years, it will pay in dividends. Yeah, mm -hmm. for, for sure. And and the the thing is, you you won't be caught by surprise once either you decide or somehow life shows you that you're going to have to find a, a job. You you will have this logbook. You will have notes taken. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you you'll have emails of people who maybe you've met yeah. and you can you can start networking and and making things happen right and and also i mean in science we love to have a structure on everything and a goal and milestone and and i think that 10% <laughs> is a really yeah. important training it's like a yoga class you go in you show up and you just you know let your body tells you your back is hurting today your arm is hurting today or this hamstring is tight and you need to like sit in that 
pose for longer. And I think that's the same power of professional development. Is you never know what you learn from each other. And you, mm-hmm. I, I love to talk to colleagues in engineering, for example, when I was back in PhD, and I we because I have to be in charge of the two discipline. But a lot of time I've learned the most creative idea just because observing how other people mm. do their work, observing how other people set up their labs. And and those are the opportunities you you should, like if you are letting yourself free and open-minded to, to learn from others. And, and I think it just takes 10% of the week. And a lot of people, you'll be surprised how many of them, they, they didn't invest that one hour of the day or six hours of the week to do that. It's like those people who don't do yoga and they complain about yeah. back pain. And I think that's the same <laughs> phenomenon we have in academia. Yeah. And, and well, we're not going to go into it, but uh, of course, physical activity, you, you're mentioning yoga, any type of sport is very important uh, during mm-hmm. graduate school because you're, again, you're focusing so much on this thing. You might be at, a, at the microscope for hours or at the cryostat or whatever. Uh, yeah, very important uh, for listeners out there to stay active. And, uh, and now in times of COVID, well, that even that has changed, <laughs> right. but still as much as possible, there's Zoom sessions and things happening. So, so yeah. <laughs> I actually learned, uh, do my yoga with still a South Carolina teacher these days, okay. every Saturday wow. on Zoom. Okay, see? Well, because I, I, I can't follow a French yoga class too well. And also I don't know. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. <I> <laughs> so awesome. It works for me. Vera, mm-hmm. now, you know, we kind of talked about what you, you know, Quite kind of quickly about what you went through in terms of, of uh, academia, the 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 some of, some advice uh, for the listeners in terms of how to best navigate. But now you eventually you got to a point where you decided, okay, I'm going to make that switch and going to look for a position in industry. Can you talk? Can you share a little bit about? How that came about, you know, uh, how and and maybe how you felt once once that uh, idea or that concept appeared in your mind. Yes. So there there are two sides uh, of building when you are developing career. Like there's one side I have I was obsessed about learning what the professor work looks like, and I was doing a lot of informational interview on campus when I was in the U.S. and want to know about okay. how they transition. Actually, that one uh, spring semester, our department was hiring professors. So I get to see like 14 candidates on-site interview. Wow. And I saw all the phenomenal presentation and we, I, I researched what, are, what does it take for them to become interviewed and shortlisted on-site. And mm-hmm. every one of them, we spoke on pizza lunch because that's one of the interview on site is uh, as postdoc and graduate student get to ask questions of the professor and challenge mm-hmm. them how, how they can become a good one for the student. And so we take notes and we have a question pool to ask these professors. And having mm-hmm. that activity really uh, was helpful because I understand how the whole academic hiring process is like from the inside instead of just thinking that it's a frustrating art to beat when you are submitting your application. And obviously it's competitive, but it's not as bad when you know how in the end, actually some of the most desirable candidates rejected the offer because they have better better places to be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, and I think that is a, that, that is a good vision to know. And, and I think we are obsessed about knowing how other jobs to how to get in the job but mm-hmm. uh, we don't spend enough time to understand the other it's a puzzle right you're matching one side to the other as a puzzle and you know very well on the other side but a lot of us don't know how we shape like and whether we are that piece of puzzle to fit on that mm. that plot uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, reference from uh, there is a book that i was reading about phd career and i can send you the name of it I, yeah. Perfect. So, but uh, it was so that was the moment um, that I was interested, but also knowing and I can't help but realizing it's a lot of work and is also require a lot of openness to travel to relocate. It could be Alaska, it could be it could, mm. <laughs> it could be Hawaii, it could be an island yeah. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so I I was a little intimidated by. By that, not because I am not hardworking, I have always worked quite hard, I would say, in my career, but it's mostly about knowing my situation, whether it's 
it's going to fit or not. So career, I would say, is like it's like it's like shoes. When you're choosing the right shoes, you know, and you right uh, when you are not in the right shoes and you are feeling uncomfortable.、Mm-hmm. Everyone can tell you your shoes looks pretty and you should keep it, <laughs> but you are the only person that know it hurts. So yeah, yeah so I, that that was I don't know if I answer your question, but it's a feeling that I felt like I don't see myself fully comfortable and happy in terms of what I want to do with my role to people,、uh, my role、mm-hmm. to my family, and I, I have to say no and put more important things in priority. In these last few minutes, Vera just touched on something very important. She mentioned that taking the next steps into her academic career felt uncomfortable, like it was not in alignment with her values and priorities, and that's what informed her decision to turn to the non-academic space. This question of looking inside yourself and listening to what your gut is telling you, be it about the choice of your research subject and PI. About whether moving cities or countries for your postdoc, or about starting to look at different avenues for your professional future, is key to making choices that you will be able to stick to and find fulfillment in. I next asked her what strategies she's put in place and what resources she's turned to to prepare for the non-academic job hunt. Here's what she had to say. So I like to make an analogy before I answer.、Um, I think any transitioning of career is very much like a broken relationship. Like、mm-hmm. you have to move on from one partner to the other, or like you have a boyfriend that doesn't work out, and you want to move on to the next one. A lot of time,、um, I think people might have the negative thinking all the time about, "Oh, this is the most terrible person. This is the worst experience in my life." And I, I, you know, I want to say this is not it.、It's I I want to think that this is my experience that was from a youthful time that I really enjoy everything I have learned in my academic research, and I know there is a lot of takeaway. Like I can talk to a lot of different culture、uh, people from different cultural background. I've learned that I can do technical writing.、Um, I'm not a native English speaker, but I'm quite good at attention to details. And I, yeah. So those are the little take home of knowing this journey taught me something,、mm-hmm. um, and what does it taught me about me as a person? Because self discovery is both ways. Only after you have upset a friend and the friend tell you you're a terrible person, then you know, oh, I shouldn't do this, and maybe I was inclining to this way of doing things. And and、mm-hmm. I think this is a p- both ways. And during this unemployed time, I have invested a lot of time to be exploring what, who I am and what have I done that is working. What、uh, what have I what is in my sweet spot? Like what are the、mm-hmm. things that I do the best? Maybe I'm not the best、uh, lab work person, for example. Like、uh, in marine science research, you need to be heavy lifting、uh, the marine seawater system. Like you you need to be quite tough to to、mm-hmm. work in the lab. So I may not be the best lab person, but I'm always the the person people come up、uh, to ask for advice on the manuscript editing, revising how the language is like, and and people enjoy my writing. So I、mm-hmm. I do know that from my past experience. And another aspect of retro、uh, retrospective thinking,、um, like about yourself, is also what、well, introspective about looking about in, inside who you are. Uh, has to come with talking to more people. So,、mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of my contract, I already started、uh, networking more and polishing my LinkedIn profile and putting a more appropriate business-friendly photo on my profile、mm-hmm. and rewriting all the narratives of what I think I have to offer for my next job. Listen to what Vera just said. How does it make you feel? A little uncomfortable? Maybe some imposter inner talk. Well, Vera makes a very important point here, and that is that employers in academia and employers outside academia don't speak the same language, so to say. They're not looking for the same things when looking at candidates. That's why you can't send a CV when applying for an industry job. You have to pare it down and distill it into a one or two page resume. And it's also why, in the same stride. You should make an effort to be present on a platform like LinkedIn, and show an image of yourself as professional as possible. 
I started with about 300 people on my network, which uh, I know in person mm-hmm. uh, from my maybe academic record. And, and, and after I re- redone my LinkedIn profile, I think it's a mindset shift because um, academic um, academia, we don't need LinkedIn profile to find a job. We use ResearchGate and we do other things like Twitters, right? Uh, but I think LinkedIn is... It is a statement saying that you are also ready and available if someone wants a freelance job or, you know, something like you can still be a PhD student, but you can also have a LinkedIn profile that advertise what you could do, like bioanalysis or statistics, you know, like those are Mm -hmm. the skills that you could offer. Uh, You don't have to have a full time job. And, And I think that is a profile that tells people that you are business ready. Mm-hmm. It's, kind well of a, as, it's kind of a yeah. CV yeah. online that mm-hmm. is more streamlined than your academic CV. Right, right. And, and employers and recruiters, they, this is a friendly system. The algorithm mm-hmm. helps them to recruit. So you want to be socializing on LinkedIn. And I don't know how you um, remember Facebook, for example. Your friends on Facebook, that whoever shows up on your feed are the people who use it more frequently. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. not essentially your best friends, but they just you know, have more likes, more comments, they show up on the top. And that's how, unfortunately, this world of algorithm is working. (laughs) Is when most people comment on your posts on LinkedIn, then your your recruitment, uh, recruiter search uh, ranking could go up. So uh, since last year, I I have doubled my LinkedIn connection. A lot of people I uh, have to remember from my uh, younger time when I Mm. met them from school and I never really make a connection officially on LinkedIn. There were a few that were mostly from like inside, like inside a LinkedIn group. Like I've met David Yu on, on LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. I, I think in the past, I had the mental barrier thinking I shouldn't add anyone who I've never met. I should only, my LinkedIn profile should be a statement like a Facebook page friendship. Like I only know these people in real life and I mm-hmm. only connect with these people. And I have taken a long way to break that mental barrier that I could uh, make friends with people that I don't haven't met yet in real life. But guess what? These people ended up like maybe if I would say five to ten percent of them had actually given a, a phone call and tell okay. me about their stories, and that become like a friendship and informational interview for my side. But like I, they become relationships that you build. Mm-hmm. So and in that conversation, those are valuable because knowing what those people have to go through in their uh, career. And I mostly connect with people who already have PhD and mm-hmm. also going through similar transitioning because I felt like there is a support group system that I can build if I have more uh, outlets of knowing where people could go. Some people are proud of being an MSL. They they go they live like on a suitcase and they travel all the time. <laughs> yeah. But some people are proud of being a medical writer and tell me, you know, I get up at nine o'clock in the morning and I take the kid to school and I work in like California time, so I'm still ahead of you know the, the person is on the East Coast and then mm-hmm. he's like, she yeah and and I felt like. Knowing this different perspective and sharing their story and after that, taking a look at what uh, works for you is like shoes, like advice is like shoes. Mm-hmm. So I make the, um, I'm, I'm ahead of myself, but like when people ask uh, LinkedIn questions, like there is a trap, you shouldn't ask for advice. And I have done that. Like you ask people, oh, what advice do you have for a person who is a uh, foreigner unemployed in France? Like most people won't give you any advice, but if you ask people their stories and what do they know of anyone who has similar walk of life and can I get connected with that person, then I actually got connected with someone who has transitioned from a PhD to a job in France and she is international and she told me all the work that's required to to transition a visa and I could then go to a job on-site interview and tell the employer, you know, this is not a big deal. Um, I have lo- I have no people and I know lawyers that could help to do it. And I am committed to this opportunity if you let me. And I think having that perspective is going to give you a lot more weight to your response to like, what are you going to do with your visa situation? Yeah, so what I'm hearing is, because you were talking about having informational interviews back when you were in the States, but LinkedIn today allows you to do that online. If you if you find someone right, right. Uh, who has a profile that, that interests you, you can approach them. And as, as you're saying, yeah. 
yep. they eventually they respond and they can even share their stories. So I mm-hmm. think that's a very, very good tip that we're giving here. Yeah, and, and don't be afraid to be rejected because there's people always have things to do in the background and you never know why that person ignores you and it's not a personal attack. It's just that person may be changing diaper at that time and yeah. forget to respond. You know, like that, there's all kind of things happen in life and if that person comes back to you a few months later, that's good. If that person don't feel interested in socializing with a stranger, then then that's cool too. It's, it's all about conversion rates, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do YouTube <laughs> videos and I know exactly you know like a thousand people click on the video maybe only 10 of them subscribe you know Mm -hmm, and and mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there's always a conversion rate in life and yeah and i think to be making to make this normalize and celebrate little success i think is the most important in this journey cool so and and i i don't want to kind of make it such a too much of a clean break here Uh, and i do want to talk about your youtube channel and we will talk about it soon but we started talking about LinkedIn, talking about skills and skills that you were trying mm-hmm. to uh, to tally up what you had accrued throughout your, your journey. But, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> uh, but uh, what, I, what I was wanting to ask now is, so once you did this introspection, once you, you looked at, okay, what can I put on LinkedIn? This, 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 this. I imagine you found gaps what uh, what did you do? Uh, what were you, what what initi- initiatives did you take to then fill out some gaps that you found that you that you thought okay you know this I can I can get this extra skill I can uh, do this extra networking etc cetera, etc cetera. what and and I imagine that you probably in the middle of this process now right that mm-hmm. that you're yes. looking for a position uh, and again th- thinking about the listeners and listeners who might be in the same situation. What strategies have been winning strategies for you? Well, I, I would say winning strategy could be an overstatement since I can't prove <laughs> myself I've gotten a job yet. But I, I do have a strategy. Is I, I read people's profile um, and a lot of times I analyze how they structure the words and what symbols they use. And it may be a right or wrong, might may not be anything right or wrong, but I, I would be giving a, a score in my head, like how mm-hmm. well does it read? Maybe some people use like a copy symbol or some people use like an arrow. Like I, I, start, I, I think I need to change mine actually. Uh, but like mm. it's an ongoing process and there's no uh, one and done deal for LinkedIn. Okay. But uh, I think keep reading what people put there and knowing what are the skills that are valued. Like maybe that uh, that specific species name that I have worked on mm. is not it's relevant on <laughs> LinkedIn. Maybe they value the skills of like uh, searching for genes like on N- uh, NCPI platform and BLAST, you know, like those could be the keyword and mm-hmm. you never know. So um, I think taking the time uh, backward to take a look at what you have and don't lie about what you like, don't, don't overstate it, but like also to see what, how people frame it and what are these people, especially those who has a job already, you know, mm-hmm. they probably mm-hmm. have a LinkedIn profile that's working. So yeah. there's a lot to take note and learn. And and about because here we're talking about how to kind of format and and we're talking you know about mm-hmm. creating a nice a nice uh, uh, very well tailored profile on LinkedIn. But what about you know in in day to day life uh, skills that you that you that you um, feel that you were lacking in. Mm-hmm. In these last few months, uh, yeah. what have you been doing kind of to fill up those gaps? In, I'm, in glad, I'm glad you asked this question um, because I did uh, take in a lot of initiative during my free time when I am officially unemployed. Um, well, I would tell my previous boss I was still writing a manuscript for her. Like mm-hmm. it's ongoing, but like I also have taken a lot of self-improvement time. Um, first of all, I started... Um, thinking that, you know, I, I, I can't have this negative moment of my life be a draining moment. And I need mm-hmm. food for my brain that is nutritious for me to do meaningful things. Mm-hmm. So I turn to books that are helpful, like um, the, like this cliche book, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But I think it's a really good read because it talks about being rich and being poor is a state that what it is it's decided for what what you are doing right now decide whether you are rich or poor is not whether your bank has money or not and i think mm-hmm. that means a world to me at this moment because 
I understood that as if I am taking myself as a leader and if I am training and improving myself as if I were working in that big pharmaceutical company, Mm -hmm. as if what I would do as their employees in the future, maybe I will end up in one, you know, I, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's important to, to make that first uh, commitment to, to be a rich mind person. And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, not financially, but like, I think uh, maybe financial will come along after um, so and also what Rich Dad Poor Dad has taught me a take home message was we may be one skill away from the job mm-hmm. or being very successful. And in my case, I think it, it resonates with PhD. We are all trained and tunnel vision to one particular in, uh, discipline, uh, one tool. But sometimes we may just need one skills like law, accounting, uh, computer um, coding like for me I have taken a few online courses on Python and a little bit of machine learning okay I also took uh, have taken clinical research and pharmacology classes those two were offered by NIH and I did get a certification after that so mm. I up- updated those on my LinkedIn profile and also was bold enough to write a post about it. So mm-hmm. people saw that I, um, I was committing my time to improve and got um, the skills and knowledge of clinical research because I'm a biologist, which I say basic science research. But I was surprised by how similar we are because yeah. biostatistics are like it's the same p-value, it's the same meta-analysis, the same um, like hypothesis testing uh, i use oyster you use human you know that's yeah. the only difference and i think that's that's an important thing to convey and if i haven't learned and haven't taken a look from the other perspective it, through those courses because i felt like you can't invent your skills from nothing you have to take a perspective from the other mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. create the list of what is desirable so yeah mm-hmm. after that course i actually got a few phone calls from recruiters um and they ask about my background. Excellent. But, See, th- yeah. that's perfect. Cause so you're building something and then you're, you're leveraging your LinkedIn uh, profile to kind of show what you're, what you're doing. And again, show that you're open for business. I, 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 right. I think that's a really great blueprint. And I just, just tell you, uh, the, all the people I know that are working in regulatory or uh, medical writing, be it freelance or, or not, uh, they all come. They 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 studied birds. They uh, studied uh, neurons, and yeah. now they're they're working in pharma. So I I totally agree that there's so mm-hmm. many transferable skills, and um, uh, that that it's, you know, it, once you acquire these specific skills that you are that you've been talking that you talked about, let's say from the NIH, then you become a really really great candidate. And uh, I think again, listeners out there, great blueprint to follow. Yes, call me if you want. <laughs> If you, if you want a medical writer, <laughs> yeah. Well, or, yeah. Anyway. If, if, if if a listener out there is looking for for a medical writer, also, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Right. Vera, uh, we're almost uh, at the end mm-hmm. of of the interview, um, and uh, I, one of the things that I, I still wanted to talk about, although you know it does not have to do with your career per se, but it's something that you're doing now. You're putting energy into. And uh, and knowing and creating putting content content out there for for PhDs is you have a YouTube channel. Can you talk a little bit about it? What it's called and and what type of uh, uh, you know of feeling or of a reflection led you to start that to start on that mission? Thank you, uh, thank you for letting me talk about my YouTube channel. Um, yes, yeah, so the. I am a fake uh, PhD student on YouTube because I felt like the most honest opinion about PhD um, study can is it's hard to come from the real actual PhD student because a lot of time we are learning by doing and I mean even people put vlogs and stuff I love watching those but like you know if you want the, the most honest experience and helpful one you have to ask from someone who has struggled and seen everything like in retrospective mm-hmm. um, and i talk about how my previous career could be like a boy mm-hmm. ex-boyfriend and people some <laughs> of the people don't like to talk about ex-boyfriend uh, but i felt like talking about your past and knowing what you have done and how far you have come from there uh, it gives you the consolidation to move on to the next uh, chapter and I also am a big fan of 
put it, paying it forward because I mean, all of my mentors and everyone who helped me in my PhD, they don't need anything from me. Um, most of the time, uh, I think it would mean a word to them if I can help uh, other people that are coming along uh, later in the journey to, to be a successful scientist. So that was my uh, mission, and I forgot to say the channel name is PhD Coffee Time. That was mm. inspired by the French culture of coffee breaks, <laughs> uh, because we have to. It's a mandated uh, breaks. We Le have. café. Yes, I love that. Yeah, it's like a very, yeah, it's a religious activity in France. They are not <laughs> religious anymore, but like the the French coffee break is everyone's uh, religion in the day. Like together. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, super cool. So, so yeah, so I felt like you know if we could. Um, harness this type of social activity for PhD because I felt incredibly helpless and isolated when I there are times that I felt really alone when I was doing postdoc and PhD mm -hmm. and I wonder if there's better way because I mean sometimes I it's not that I don't have friends but I know if I talk to a friend it takes another two hours and I have problems stopping from conversation so mm -hmm. So I wonder if there is a way to have a, a virtual social feeling that people felt like they have someone to talk to. They also learn something. You know, that's how the best coffee break is like. People give you a, a, like the two cents and to them mm -hmm. it's the two cents. For you, it's valuable advice and maybe solving a whole week of problems. So um, yeah. that was the more, uh, intention is I, I want to pay it forward and I want to take make better use of my time during this seemingly harsh and unproductive time of someone's career is a career break and mm -hmm. a, a recruiter can look down on it it's like why can you explain why you have nothing and no employer mm -hmm. wants you you know I, and i felt like instead of blaming the system and how visas can ha uh, hold me back from getting the job i am i'm in control on every aspect that i mm -hmm. can control which i mean nobody can stop me from putting a video on youtube nobody mm -hmm. can stop mm -hmm. me from socializing and helping other people and I, I'm a strong believer that if you are willing to put yourself out there and help the others, I think naturally the universe would do something back and help you yeah. as well. And I think also it helps me to know that I'm helpful, like if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I, it totally makes sense. Basically, the, the reason why I started Papa PhD is the same. I, my PhD was done you know, years ago and, uh, and I had the same feeling. I want to give back to that community and to, I want to help, if I help, you know, a handful of people not fall into the same mistakes that I did, you know, it'll be mission accomplished for me. And I think, I think you probably have the same feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of PhD alumni, they are only vocal when they made it to professors. Like mm -hmm, if they mm -hmm. don't make it to become a professor, they become, they, it's part of themselves maybe feeling like I failed in this mission of trying to be professor. Yeah. And I have nothing valuable to share, but that's yeah. really not because they, th those are the 99% of the population that is out there. And there are 99% of all these PhD that doesn't land on a professor job mm. that would want that advice maybe before they become, you know, depressed or having issues. And I felt like having... Um, being okay to talk about unemployment and like why I'm showing up today I, mm -hmm. it's not like I I have you know I am I am not embarrassed about my um, unemployment I mean I'm a little embarrassed but like mm -hmm. it's I think I also felt uh, let me rephrase like it's not like I am not embarrassed about being unemployed but mm -hmm. I felt like it is more important to have someone openly talking about unemployment during mm -hmm. this time Instead which, of hiding it, right? Which, which, by the way, uh, depending on when the listener, uh, you uh, who are listening, are listening to this episode, this is being recorded. Just you know, we're COVID is still around, and it's it's impacting hiring left and right, and uh, so th there's there's you know many many other reasons, and and I I I, uh, I agree with you. You shouldn't uh, you shouldn't feel bad about that, and you're definitely. Uh, taking action towards not staying in that situation for too long. So, so kudos to you for that, uh, uh, Vera. We, we've yeah. reached the end of the uh, the interview. Uh, the the last thing I'd I'd ask you is to share uh, to tell uh, the listeners how and where they can they can find you online, and uh, and maybe yeah share the the your your YouTube channel uh, URL or your Twitter handle Twitter handle, um, wh whichever platforms you're on. So um, my PhD uh, coffee time YouTube is just by youtube.com slash PhD coffee time. 
And I'm also on Instagram at PhD Coffee Time. Apparently, a lot of PhD students now love Instagram, so I have to get back on that. I'm also on Twitter on my personal um, name, Vera B.S. Chen. Um, okay. So you could find me there uh, on Twitter. So uh, and LinkedIn as well, if you're a recruiter and in- interested in hiring a marine science uh, transitioning medical writer, <laughs> I am there <laughs> <laughs> as well. Um, thank you. Excellent. Ex- and uh, you, you mentioned LinkedIn, yeah? Yes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, LinkedIn, the, 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 oh, the LinkedIn is uh, also Vera BS Chen. And I, did, I didn't realize what BS means until I come to America. <laughs> and, and that's my initial, so I couldn't change it. So, uh, so <laughs> I funny. hope I'm not full of BS. <laughs> uh, well, no. I, w- once we, people know you and, and start watching your videos, they, they, they'll know you're not. Vera, thank you so much uh, for having come to, to, uh, uh, to this uh, Zoom interview. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all, all these... Uh, experiences that you've had and what you're going through right now uh, again i'm like i said I, I believe you're you're taking all the right actions to uh, eventually land a, a job that that uh, you'll like and that will fulfill you uh, and uh, well you know what let's keep t- let's keep talking and uh, and uh, maybe we'll have an update interview sometime so thank you so much for for being here today on papa phd Thank you. It means a world to be on this show and I wished um, very soon I would come back for another update. I was really happy Vera accepted my invitation because it's not easy to talk about uncertainty and especially from a position like hers of being in between jobs. And I'm really grateful for all she shared from the details of her journey to the motivation behind starting her YouTube channel. Thanks for having listened to the end. And now, as promised, it's podcast discovery time. And this week, I'm bringing you a very funny science comedy podcast, Petri Dish, and another great podcast covering all aspects of the PhD life, Wisegrad. Roll the tape. Ich bin ein science, science, cannabinoids, genetics, coronavirus, dogs. This is Petri Dish. We're a science podcast exploring complex subjects with clarity and evil humor. Join the scientific revolution. Join Petri Dish, dropping every Monday on anchor.fm slash Petri Dish. Hey, I'm Sanjay. Welcome to Wisegrad. This is the go-to podcast for everyone interested in, currently stuck in, or recently exited the academic world. So it's for students and students at life. Here we'll discuss topics ranging from overcoming academic obstacles to finding jobs to navigating the imminent midlife crisis. I call it the podcast for motivated procrastinators. So if you're super driven but can't seem to get the car started, this podcast is definitely for you. And that's it for this week. Thank you for being a true fan. I'll be expecting you next week with another great guest. So happy listening and happy sharing. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. 